You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you today's podcast is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcast, Snap Himalaya, as well as Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. Frank, how are you? Um, I mean... I'm still in need of a Bucks victory to to really get my my. Uh, I guess uh, you know, curious to see how how Game Two uh, works out. And uh, well, you you know more about sort of the the circumstances around that because I think the the headline from practice today was stay the course, thousand points of light, no big changes. Um, I'm I, I'm not surprised at all. Um, but what was your what was your read on the Bucks mood uh, today when when Bud and Giannis Bledsoe all these guys were were talking about what happened on Sunday and and what they're going to do about it on Tuesday? I think I was I think I was a little bit surprised to hear uh, how much they talked about you know just kind of their their general like energy and well I guess I mean in many ways their energy and effort and. I think on my rewatch this morning, I was like kind of thinking through it. And obviously in the story I wrote at the athletic, you can subscribe over at the athletic. Um, But at the story I wrote there, like I had, you know, broken down some plays and I, I do remember thinking like, it's kind of strange how much, or I guess how little, it's kind of strange how much, like how little urgency, the Bucks were like cutting two places and how little, uh, you know, like they, like how much, how, how little effort they were like really putting into like getting the ball at the floor, the floor really quickly. And like, there was just a couple sequences where like Bledsoe would dribble it up and the Bucks have been so good about this all year. And, you know, they'd be entering an offensive set at like 18 seconds on the shot clock. And it was just like, what, what are you doing? Like, not that not that it's the easiest thing to create pace when the other team is making a lot of shots. Obviously, that makes it more difficult. Uh, but it was just like, why why are you guys playing like that? Uh, so I guess I was, you know, a little bit surprised to hear it like during during all of their like conversations. But like when I watched it again, like I don't know that I'm like all that shocked that they feel that way. I, I think that. You know, there is a lot of thought being put into, you know, exactly how Giannis is going to attack this defense. And, you know, I think there's a lot of thought being put into, uh, you know, just how they get through 
all of this with, you know, like the idea of you're probably just gonna have to like shoot through it offensively if you're, if you really want to be better on that end. And I, I maybe shocked ish about how little conversation there was about the, the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, and again, like this isn't speaking from playoff series past, like you're not going to sit here and, tell me and the rest of the media that, hey, on uh, Al Horford pick and pops, we are going to veer or late switch or uh, we're just going to switch everything now, one through four. Um, like, like You're not going to say those things. So if they are making adjustments and changing things a little bit, like that's that's totally fine. But I was surprised kind of how often, you know, I would pepper them about questions about the defense, Kane, Matt Velasquez, like when we were peppering them about like about the defense, how often they're just like, you know, like I think it's gonna be a little bit easier if offensively, like we get in a little bit more flow. And I, I don't know, like it, it it's surprising, but also not surprising, just because like you do have to attempt to not say anything in these days in between games because you're probably going to have at least some adjustments, even if they're small, like you're probably going to do things a little bit differently. You don't want to give too much away, but I don't know like that. That was kind of what struck me was that uh, energy and effort came away as one of the things that they were talking about and, and really just trying to improve offensively and be themselves offensively. Uh, that, that was a little bit, a little bit surprising to me. Yeah. I mean, the, they're, Two obvious reasons I can think of um, for the Bucks to not tip their hat on on any changes or not allude to um, making any any big adjustments. One is, as you as you said, why telegraph any of that, right? Like there's the gamesmanship yep. aspect. Um, I think the second and more compelling one is that they're just not going to change much. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and this is, you know, again, this this was always going to be. I mean, literally from, you know, the, the, the whole, especially on the defensive end, right? Like I think the offensive side, it's interesting because I think the bigger issue, you know, just you look at the numbers and where they were relative average. I mean, the offense was clearly the bigger outlier underperformer on Sunday. Um, and I think the offense is also the place where you'd say, well, yeah, you don't have to like dramatically change your approach, right? Like you're not going to... Um, not give the ball to Giannis or, you know, I mean, like they, they did a lot of the things that they always do as far as getting Giannis the ball. Now I think there's some probably some much more subtle things that they could do. Um, but I think offensively you are mostly just relying on guys just play better, right? Like um, we talked about tempo yesterday on the podcast. Um, we talked about how the tempo just kind of wasn't there and the ball movement just, yep. I don't know. It felt very like, all right, I'm just going to, dribble down and then you know we're gonna run our like little three-man action at the top of the key. you know it just it just felt very kind of like paint by numbers for long stretches and mm-hmm. um you know credit to the celtics because they walled off the transition sort of lanes uh really well for most of the game so you know obviously that's an area where especially Giannis gets loose but um but yeah i mean i think i think if if we were only talking about offense um i i don't know if i'd say like oh you have to like dramatically change something right um, you know, I think obviously things like rotations impact both offense and defense. Um, I think, you know, that's an area where I'm curious to see exactly what Bud does because, um, you know, 
I mean, especially if it's a rotation change, like you're not going to say like, yeah, you know, Pat had 24 minutes on Sunday and he's just not that good. So I'm going to cut yeah. him down. Right. I mean like, you know, stuff like that obviously is like, it's just kind of awkward <laughs> to, to even talk about in those terms. Um, but I don't think, I don't think Bud is just going to play Giannis, you know, 43 minutes or something like that. That, that doesn't really seem to be something that's that he, I mean, we kind of talked about, it. I mean, it's like, it. I don't know if you can just flip the switch on that as easily anyway, because it's, kind of pushing a guy out of his comfort zone a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in, on Sunday, it wasn't really even relevant because he was playing so poorly that it, I don't think it really – I mean, like, the Bucks are not going to erase a 22-point deficit by playing Giannis another five or six minutes um, relative to what he played. I mean, he, he wasn't effective enough to make to make a difference. He was minus 24, right? Um, yep. But in a game where he is playing like normal Giannis, I mean – are you going to be better off shaving minutes from somebody like Urson in in favor of Giannis? Shaving minutes, literally in- anyone. It, it doesn't even matter how. Honestly, yeah, you no, might have right. been better even with the Giannis that was playing on Sunday to shave minutes from any of the people you're going to mention. Yeah, well, I think and I think on the margin, like like Giannis, because he's not an outside shooter, like he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be prone to being like hot and cold in the way mm-hmm. like a jump shooter would be right. So, I mean, I totally agree. Like on the margin, an extra minute of Giannis should always be a net positive relative to whoever else would be getting those minutes. I think I, I totally agree with that. Even when he's playing poorly um, again, like on Sunday, it was just was so not close. That, you know, <laughs> that really matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that will be interesting to watch. Like does, does Giannis's minutes load, you know, Chris's minutes load, do those inch up a bit more? Um, I mean, off the bench, I think George Hill's the obvious guy that you would say, that guy should play more. <laughs> um, but we'll see just exactly how they, how that kind of changes. I think the area that worries me though, is the area that we talked about it. I don't think it was as big of an issue on Sunday. Like, you know, like Al Horford, like, like, I mean, I feel like I, I, I saw like allusions to like sort of the idea that like the Bucks got like pick and pop to death by Al Horford. And it's like, he hit three out of five threes, which is, the same number that Giannis got, you know, like, I mean, yep. if Giannis and Horford like cancel out from three point land from three point land, like if that's all you knew, if you, if you knew in going to game one that Giannis and Horford would hit the same number of threes on the same number of shots, you'd be like, take that. I'll gladly yep. take that swap. That's great. I love where we are. <laughs> you, you tell me that. Yep. Um, little did we know that Giannis would be just, you know, basically a train wreck from everything but three-point range, which makes no sense. Uh, and Horford would kind of do everything else really well, including obviously the defense on Giannis. So, um, so it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Cause on the one hand you can say, well, maybe the defense wasn't the biggest issue on Sunday. Um, it was not obviously something that kept the Bucks in the game either. Um, but, and we, we talked obviously about like the shot chart and the Celtics, like kind of, like they willingly sort of play the sort of game that the Bucks want you to play, but they're good enough shooting the ball and creating through Kyrie that they can still obviously be effective doing that. Um, but it's an interesting, you get into an interesting area because the Bucks can sort of like, I feel like lull themselves into believing that they don't have to make changes and they can just do <laughs> yep. exactly what they want to do. And it's totally going to be fine. And, and this is kind of the hard thing for a team because like, you know, when you're the best team in the league record wise 
and you've had this formula that has worked and it's a really good thing in the regular season and teams aren't used to playing against you and the type of talent you have, it pays to be a coach who just says, we're going to be who we are. We're going to have this identity and it's simple and you know it doesn't require dramatically changing the game plan night to night. And that's how we're going to win a ton of games and we're going to be awesome doing that. But the flip side is like, what happens when you do run into a team that can cause problems with matchups, especially on the defensive end? Like, when do you, when do you adjust? And I mean, again, this is like, I mean, this has been our concern around Bud since like, even before he was hired, right? I mean, we talked about like, <laughs> yes. we probably want a guy who can play a switching defense. Cause that seemed to be where the league was going. Now, I think this was a great yep. comeback year for obviously more traditional defenses, Brooke Lopez and the Bucks being kind of like the poster children for that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Rudy Gobert and the Jazz finished second behind the Bucks, doing obviously some similar things in that regard. But um, the Jazz got crushed in the first round. The Bucks here are obviously trying to avoid, you know, getting run over by, you know, a team that, that can exploit their weaknesses in the second round. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I will say this, like, I, I don't I don't foresee you know the I don't foresee Bud just knowing what you know about him changing things up in a way that is going to be preemptive and so it scares me because I think if he does make a change it's going to be reactive that's that's always when the Bucks went to their switching defense it was never because you know eh, it's looking okay but they could be better and we think we have an advantage doing this it was always like a desperation thing it felt like in like a third quarter yeah. um, when they were losing and so. I don't know. I mean, again, like this is, it's, it's, it's the storyline that's going to write itself. If the Bucks lose. And it's frustrating because like we can kind of potentially see it coming and you just have to hope that, you know, the Bucks are good enough, talented enough that they can kind of overcome their predictability, you know? And again, there's reasons for predictability. It's because you get really good at doing something. Um, but in the playoffs, again, like, you know, you're not playing an 82 game sample against 30 different, you know, 29 different other teams in the league. You're having to play the same team over and over and over again. And if you just kind of expect to do the same thing and just, we're just better than you and we're just going to beat you over the head with that, that makes me nervous. It's, it's funny. I was talking to, uh, Paul Flannery, uh, one of your SB Nation boys. Um, P-Flans. <laughs> talking to P-Flans a little bit today. And the one thing that, that kind of stuck with me as we were talking about it, and we had a, a whole bunch of time at practice waiting for, for guys to get ready, and he had he had mentioned something about this really happened quick for the Bucks. Like, they, they went from... Mm, goodish team, not really sure what their future is, to best team in the league. MVP. Coach of the year. Bledsoe, like, first team all defense. Giannis, defense player of the year. Like, they they just, like, very quickly checked all of those boxes. And, you know, when you do that, and in one year become a juggernaut in many ways, like, I don't know that you you go through all of the, I don't want to say all of the tinkering, but in some ways all the tinkering, like you didn't just go from, 
because you were like flaming out under Jason Kidd, you didn't get to go through like the steps, right? Like you didn't get to go like, okay, you got to the second round and then, you know, you, you lost and you lost because you, you didn't quite have your, your defensive scheme, like exactly how you want it. So you changed it a little bit, but in the first year of doing it, you did things a little bit differently so that when you got to the playoffs, you know, you could have a different way, right? Like you could have a slightly different way and you probably knew a little bit more about yourself this year, the Bucks just kind of became who they are, and who they are was the best team in the league. And because of that, like there, there wasn't a lot of times where you know you're really tested or you really tried out a lot of different things, and it just kind of leads to, like you said, this very predictable spot, right? Like I think throughout the entire season, we kind of believed that that this was going to occur. And I think every time during the season we were watching the Bucks and saw a a pick and pop big, like we knew that, hey, playoff time. Like this is this is something that matters. Like this game matters because, you know, we're gonna have to see how the Bucks adjust to this and we're gonna have to see how the Bucks play against this. And I, I just think it's it's kind of this I, I don't know I, I it's all interconnected to me, if that makes any sense. Like just like having everything happen so quickly, just like kind of led to, I think what is a somewhat inevitable situation that at some point you were going to play a team. And I think both of us kind of predicted and thought that it would be the Celtics probably about a month or two ago uh, that, you know, if, if you're looking at the Eastern conference, like the teams that the team, excuse me, that was really going to make this difficult on the Bucks was the Celtics. And, uh, you know, maybe luckily or uh, unluckily, like I, depending how you look at it, like, you know, if you get through this, then you should probably be fine in the Eastern Conference Finals because you're not going to be tested in the same way. But, you know, they got they got the Celtics in the second round and now they're, they're in a dogfight and, you know, they got to figure out exactly, exactly how they're going to get through this. And, I think the other thing that I want to pair with that is the fact that in game one, this game that you lose, your best player plays the worst game of his career, like the worst game of his playoff career. I think we can probably, and again, you can argue about the details, but in a general sense, he plays about as poorly as you can imagine. And I just wonder if, if Giannis has a bad game and not, the worst game that he's ever had. Do you think like, you know, maybe, maybe what we got going on doesn't work. Maybe, maybe this isn't right. And maybe we should be willing to tinker here uh, immediately after game one. Like if it's, it's just, if it's just kind of a bad game, do you think that way a little bit more? Because I think when you see the worst game that, that he's ever played, you just say to yourself, that's not going to happen again. Like that, that first game didn't tell us anything about what we, what we need to adjust to or what we need to know because it, it was an outlier. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't something that's going to happen again. So, you know, we have to get a better read for the actual situation by seeing what happens when he plays good. And I, like, <laughs> I, I just think all of these things kind of add up to a situation where, I think going into the series, we both kind of believe that Mike Boonholzer would 
be stubborn in some ways and say that, you know, we're going to play that the way that we play and we're going to be worried about being us. And when we're us and that that's, that's when we're at our best. And uh, again, people kind of were, were commenting in my article uh, at the athletic about like, Oh, why didn't you talk about the defense and you know, all the, the stuff that went wrong there. And I was like, well, that was kind of predictable. Like, I think we knew that the Bucks like might struggle a little bit against Celtics because the Celtics like to take the shots that the Bucks like to give up. Like, I think we we kind of saw some of that coming. Giannis having the worst game of his career is much less predictable. So I, I don't. It, it to me it makes this this really strange kind of situation where I think you know not being ready to make a bunch of adjustments is a bad thing, but also with what we know of Mike Boonholzer and of what happened in game one, like in many ways, it seems totally predictable, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say, let, maybe let's just transition to this. Like let, let's, let, let's talk about what we, what we would do if we were Mike Budenholzer, And then let's, let's, let's put it through the lens of what we think will actually happen. Like if I was, Budenholzer, okay. I, I want to do one. Okay. Uh, it, it, it drove me crazy when I was rewatching the game today. Uh, there was a pick and roll where the Bucks were in scramble position. Chris Middleton was somehow on Kyrie Irving, and they ran a pick and roll with Horford. Lopez was not on the floor. It was one of the moments Giannis had Horford, and the Bucks did not switch it. And it was just like, why does Giannis play like he's in just a mobile? Big man, like he's he's the freakiest guy in in the league. Like I, so my switch would be Giannis stops playing drop coverage. Like if he's ever in a pick and roll, he doesn't play. He does not play drop coverage. Like he switches, and I don't think the Bucks will do that. But that's what I would do. Yeah, no, I mean that's literally like I mean, granted, like Giannis is going to be better than any other seven foot guy at playing any type of coverage you want. Like he's going to be able yes. to. You know, I mean, sure, well, he's not going to drop as well as a guy like Lopez is because he's not as long and he's just not like, you know, has he doesn't have that kind of like sit under the rim and block shots mindset. But that's not what you need in this series anyway, so that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think again, like Giannis, part of his skill set is that he okay. I mean, is he going to lock down Kyrie Irving? No, but he's going to do pretty fine, I would say. And he's got the type of length and, you know, guys just don't also really want to exploit him so much. Like, I mean, I'm sure Kyrie can, yep. can shoot a step back that he can make on Giannis. He could do that on anybody, right? Like it doesn't matter who, who he's playing against, but is he going to be able to get like really easy shots against Giannis? No. And he's not going to try to hunt him out like he would, you know, Brooke or Miritich or Urson if, if you switch those guys. Um, so I, I definitely agree with that. Like leverage Giannis's super unique skill set. Um, by by doing things that that he can do especially well, um, I would I would start with rotations. Um, you know, we already alluded to it. I think stretching out the minutes of your best players, namely Giannis, Chris, and I'll put an asterisk on Bledsoe. I, I don't know if you got Bledsoe's one going to be one of our best players this series. You know, like before the series, mm-hmm. like we wanted to believe that you know he had kind of gotten over his yips from last playoffs. Um, Played well against Detroit. 
and then game one happens and you're just like, I don't know, man, like we, we couldn't, we refused to call it, you know, fact that he was over whatever happened last year, because I think we were both like, eh, let's see it. And so we still <laughs> yeah. need to see it. Right. So, I mean, like, that's the thing. I, I don't know if Bledsoe playing, you know, 33 minutes instead of 29 is actually going to be a plus for the bucks. I, I hope it is. Um, but the good news is that the natural sort of guy to take up, pick up the slack in George Hill, I think is a guy that you would want to stretch out regardless um, because you can obviously play Bledsoe and, and Hill together as well. Um, so I think rotation wise, I think obvious guys to stretch out. I think ironically, I would say it would be Giannis Middleton and, and Hill soaking up more of those bench minutes in, in effect, hopefully also reducing the minutes for, you know, Connaughton and, and Sterling Brown, who again, like just didn't look like ready for kind of prime time in game one. Um, I think an interesting question is, do you just bench Connaughton and throw out Tony Snell? Um, I think if this was the regular season and Tony Snell, you know, wasn't coming off an ankle injury that he has not really, and he hasn't really seen true game action. Um, I'd be much more kind of okay with that. Um, given kind of the way things are, I'm, I guess I'm okay with Connaughton still getting some minutes, but like it can't be 24 minutes unless, unless he just comes out and is like, you know, the second coming balling, defending at a high level like he's got to channel this into something productive otherwise you can't just keep him out there the way that they've been the way that they've been running him out there um i think um i can go i can go with one um okay i would say and again like the bucks kind of talked about this today with you know like feeling and like urgency on the offensive end like i think that's a big thing like moving in and out of offensive sets like a lot quicker but it was something I highlighted at the athletic after game one, but just finding ways to be more creative with Giannis, like whatever, whatever that is. And I mean, that's kind of similar to what you were saying defensively with like Giannis, like, okay, find a way to leverage his special skills. And offensively, I would say much of the same, like, okay, don't have him just go one-on-one against Al Horford. Like obviously in transition, that is something that Giannis does a lot. And like, that's fine. Keep doing that and keep trying to find those, those gaps and and, and those opportunities. But in the half court, like you got to find ways to move their help defenders that there was a a possession I grabbed where Middleton uh, faked setting a screen for Giannis and then just sprinted out and got a, a above the break three. And that was, I think in like the first few minutes of the game. And again, like that's not, it's not groundbreaking. That is not uh, like genius play calling. It just changes the look of of what Giannis is going to see. Like if if you do that and Chris sprints to the three point line, all of a sudden Jalen Brown isn't one of those help defenders. Isn't in one of those spots where Giannis uh, is trying to attack. Like it that that just kind of helps because there was this straight. I'm curious what you think about this. I. I read a couple places today that Al Horford is so special defensively because, you know, he's able to, to guard Giannis one-on-one with, with not very much help a lot of the time. And I was just like, I don't know that I ever feel that way watching the Celtics play against the Bucks. Like I felt like throughout the day yesterday, there was two helpers 
one on Horford's left and one on Horford's right every time Giannis touched the ball. What, what, do, what do you think about that? Like, just the idea that, like, Horford's so special that, like, he doesn't need help uh, when covering Giannis. Because I, I thought that was personally crazy. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, I mean, the, the Celtics have historically not really been able to stop Giannis effectively. I mean, Giannis scored 30 plus, you know, each of the games this year, he, you know, whatever, he averaged 25, 26 a game on high efficiency in the playoffs last year. I mean, if it was easy to just stick a guy, whether it's Horford or Semi Ojale on Giannis, you would do that. And I think the the wrinkle that the Bucks saw in game one that they didn't see really in the other games as much was it was Horford name, you know, it was Horford for one and then Horford with a ton of help for two. Because, I mean, we've seen Horford just get worn out, like with Giannis driving at him at full speed and, and you know, Al just not quite being able to keep up, right? And um, again, it's not a slight to, to Horford because he also had some terrific kind of individual defensive plays, including that, you know, that kind of volleyball spike that he had on Giannis, yeah. which was sort of like, you know, if the Bucks lose a series, that's going to be like the resounding like replay of this series, right? Um, that the Jalen Brown dunk on Giannis, which was kind of, you know, like a late Giannis help play. So, I mean, not like, you know, Giannis was standing there and they just went at the apex and got dunked on, and he got dunked on. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, if they're going to put Horford on an island, I think you feel better. Um, that said, like just posting up Giannis on Al Horford, that's not easy because Al Horford's strong. Um, I think you're better off being able to face up and attack from, you know, a coming at him type perspective. And, and again, just trying to play the angles and, and everything. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I think you have to show, I mean, offensive, I think you have to show different looks to them. I think you have to move Giannis around, use screening actions, try to get different guys guarding Giannis other than Horford. And, and if, you know, assuming Baines plays um, Baines, cause obviously I think just those guys size and the way that they're where they were playing him made it hard. But I think also, and, Giannis- I, and I know I was going to say, and I know the bucks don't like pick and rolls with Giannis, like as the ball handler, like that's, largely it like largely kind of defeats the idea of Giannis attacking, right? Like if you bring the extra helper, like you've brought someone else to get in the way, but I'm curious, like if you run a bunch of Middleton Giannis pick and rolls, like do the, do the Celtics switch it? Like what happens? Yeah. And uh, to me, that, that would be a big thing. I think you have to explore is, um, you know, when you watch the Celtics, I mean, how many, how many of their possessions include Irving Horford action? Almost, it feels like damn near every one, right? It should be something similar with the Bucks. Like you gotta find a way. Middleton is the one other guy they really respect offensively. Like we saw them try to run pick and rolls with Bledsoe and Giannis in the screener, and you know the Celtics just don't respect Bledsoe. You know, you can run it a pick and pop with Lopez, but they feel pretty confident that they can sprint out to Lopez and, you know, keep him from getting off that three. Sterling Brown, they just flat out don't respect. So, like, you got to find ways to, you know, kind of change the coverage. And I think you got to find ways to use those two together as much as possible. And the Bucks have done that more this year with those two than than Jason did in the past. But I think you gotta you gotta find ways. And again, if the Celtics are gonna switch so much, like maybe you do actually set a, a pick and roll screen for Giannis and have him as the ball handler in those situations. But yes, yeah, so any variety of ways that you can you can find to get Giannis different looks and change the way that the Celtics can defend him, I think is just huge. 
You know you're a, a hashtag big media guy, Eric, because you just referred to uh, public enemy number one of, of Bucks Nation as Jason. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know, Jason. Um, yeah, but uh, so I'll say this kind of on that topic. So I think, you know, as far as Giannis goes, moving moving Giannis around, using screening actions, trying to get, you know, forcing switches um, is, is something. I think as far as like something that plays into rotations as well as Giannis, Look, I know that they're not going to bench Brook Lopez for the first time all season and bring him off the bench and do something like that. I'm not expecting that. Um, but I would say this: splitting those guys up more to me, like they're hugely valuable defensively against most teams. Against this team, it's less so. Um, they're guarding Horf- they're guarding Giannis with Horford anyway, so you're not like dragging the center out to the three point line with Brook. So either so so one thing you could do is sub Brook early, which typically like they don't necessarily sub him that early, but sub him like, I don't know, four minutes in or something like that. Okay. If you're going to start him, sub him four minutes mm-hmm. in or something, have Giannis out there with Miritich. So you've got like just a light, you know, I mean, even more so than Brook because Miritich has a clearly a faster release than Brook, a guy who's going to, who can move around more. I mean, Miritich can run off a screen, right? We saw that and pick and pop, right? Yep. Like Brook isn't doing that stuff. So put Miritich out there. He's your like, I mean, he's arguably your best shooter period on this team in terms of just catch and shoot stuff. You know that Giannis believes that if he kicks out to Miritich, Miritich can make a play. I think that was part of the challenge, right? In game one, in terms of like just doing, getting back to what you do. I think Giannis just having confidence that he can pass out to guys and they're going to make the right choice, put up three. That obviously would be a good thing that isn't like dramatically out of character for what they do. So I would say try to get more Giannis and and Miritich lineups. Um, again, like, you know, okay. I mean, look, I, I've been saying for I mean, DJ Wilson was bad in, his, in his brief time in the last series. I don't expect he's going to play in the series much un, until it's, like, too late. Like, if you see DJ Wilson, it's probably going to be because Bud is desperate and everything he's done trying to do what he's been doing is not working. So, unfortunately, DJ is going to be the break-in-case-of-emergency guy. If it was me, I would try to see what DJ would look like, say, with a guy like Brooke or something like that. You know, like if you're going to keep playing Brooke, I would try to have Brooke out there against Baines, who's obviously not like a guy they're going to try to run a bunch of pick and pops with, even though Baines can occasionally hit a three. Um, But Baines doesn't want to guard Brooke 28 feet from the basket either. So I would try to kind of do some things like that, right? Like some Mitch and Mass. Now, if Urson has to be out there, then fine. Put him out there with the second unit. Um, Again, I think both... I think pretty much everybody you want to hide with Giannis. <laughs> That's kind of a problem. Um, but, you know, um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I think, again, I think Miritich for what he can do in making Giannis better and making Giannis's life easier, I would try to overlap their minutes more. So I think in rotations and just generally trying to kind of get things going with Giannis, I think that would be something, something to do. Also, like we never see, th- there's a reason we never see Giannis run pick and rolls with like a guy like Brooke Lopez. And it's because teams, can just go under a screen on you. Like they're they're not really worried mm-hmm. about how to defend that as much. That said, if the if the Celtics are going to play Giannis aggressively on the perimeter, give it a shot. See see what see what they that, do. Right to me, that that was the, that's the big thing is like if they were dropping as low as they have been, but the Celtics have shown uh, you know in some ways a level of aggressiveness that a lot of teams haven't shown, and uh, you know they're they're it's obviously logical why you don't set pick and roll screens for them. But if they really want to move that 
that meeting point out as high as they do. Like they've been trying to push the the meeting point where Giannis has to make a move out by the free throw line. Like, all right, if if you can get them a screen and they're going to be close to them, like out by the three point line, like I think you got to try it. Uh, you got to see how they at least defend it a couple times. Yeah, I mean, because centers are not used to having to guard ball handlers going into pick and rolls, right? They're used to being yep. defending the screener and having to make that read. They're not used to like okay, I'm going to go under a screen or I'm, are we going to switch? What are we going to do, right? And look, if Horford's out there with Marcus Morris and, I mean, they switch, great. I'd rather have Marcus Morris on Giannis. Right? <laughs> like, that's fine too. Now, part yeah. of the problem is that at Giannis, it, relative to most guys, because he's not a threat to shoot a jump shot, he's much easier to just basically, you just hedge hard against him and then you can recover typically, which happens so much when the Bucks try to run their inverted screen and rolls, which typically are the only types of pick and rolls he really runs is with the opposing point guard, you know, basically Bledsoe or George Hill, like trying to really like basically set a screen essentially like in the like lane basically, or, or like near the free throw line, yeah. right. When guys are sunk down and really just trying to kind of pick a side and, and sometimes they kind of flip the screens and just sort of like, try to throw the defense off into you know so they're not kind of the way they, they're used to playing but um but yeah i mean i think i think that's again these aren't like a lot of this stuff isn't like they're not like huge tweaks like you it's not like you know you'd look at these and say like oh that's so fundamentally different you know to to do some of the things we're talking about yeah um i think defensively though yeah i mean like you don't have to just go into a switch everything mode immediately but i think if you move your rotations around a little bit. Like if you stagger Lopez, so he's going more against Baines, less against Horford. You have Giannis out there against Horford. You have Giannis switching those pick and rolls like you were alluding to. I mean, it's again, it just like, why, you know, like I get it. The, the bucks kind of had to wait for the Celtics to kind of make their, make their adjustments. You know, literally you didn't know exactly who they were going to start going into game one, but now we've seen those adjustments. Yep. Like if you're not countering those in some ways, even if small, then you know, again, like, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, like, but you're going to get, you're going to get roasted if and when the Bucks lose this series and you're going to deserve it. Right. And I, I get it. Like you, you yeah. want to project confidence to your team and not just say, Oh crap, guys, we got to change everything. Right. Like we went, uh, especially for a team that hasn't done it before. Like, right. Right. This, this is like their first time. So you do have to project that confidence. Like, so I do, I do get it. Like, yeah. and I do think that's why we kind of saw this coming, but yeah, like the first punch has been thrown. Uh, you got to counter it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Is that it? All right. That, to, I think that's watch, it. Watch a basketball game? Okay. I'd just, I'd, yeah, I'd be happy to watch a basketball game and, you know, actually uh, get back into it. So that's going to be it for us for today on Locked on Bucks. Remember, you can get the show every day by subscribing to Locked on Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya and their pure, personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Bucks. You can subscribe to the show as well on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.